Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Now, listen to me, Melania. I know you're tired and frazzled. I know your nerves are roasted like a potato in a Ljubljana shop window. But if you're going to be first lady, you absolutely must get it. Let's try again. The gents in tents think mainly of Mike Pence. Das gents in tents thinks mainly of Mike Pence's. The gents in tents think mainly of Mike Pence. Dos gents in Pence think mainly of Mike Pence. It's no use, man and old chap. You'll never get that Croatian gutter snipe to speak like a proper first lady. Shut up, Priebus. She's a Slovenian supermodel. The gents in Pence thinks mainly of Mike Pence. We're getting nowhere. Let's try another phrase. If my daughter weren't my daughter, I would date her when I caught her. That is what Donald says. He always saying Ivanka is the one that he really wants to... Never mind. Bad choice. Why don't we practice introducing the show? And now, the biggest lightweight loser in all of failing public radio... And now, the biggest lightweight loser in all of failing public radio. By Jove, Bannon, I think she's got it. And now, the biggest lightweight loser in all of failing public radio. She's got it, Priebus. She's really got it. And now, the biggest lightweight loser in all of failing public radio. Colin McEnroe. I sort of wish that wasn't how she got it. That wasn't the particular phrase that somehow or other allowed her to shed her accent and speak the way they wanted her to. All right, we are going to talk about Melania Trump today. Excuse our initial lightheartedness, because, in fact, I think we're going to take a pretty serious look at Melania Trump. Uh, She's not the easiest person to take any look at all at, uh, in some ways, her life uh, and her 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 existence, uh, they're not shrouded in mystery or anything like that. It's still a little bit harder to know certain things about her. Uh, and she's a little less on public display than an awful lot of prior first ladies are. There are speculation that maybe she's even kind of a reluctant first lady. That would be a hard thing for anybody ultimately to know or pin down. Uh, we'll talk towards the end of the show of uh, to a writer in and from Slovenia to talk about the Slovenian side of her life. But we're going to begin by just talking about her role as a first lady. What what are reasonable expectations? Uh, how likely is she to fulfill those ex- expectations? So joining us uh, from the st- studios of WAMU in D.C., Kate Anderson Brower, journalist, author, and CNN contributor. Her latest book is First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First Ladies. Also joining us by phone, uh, Annalisa Morelli, uh, journalist and reporter at Quartz. Uh, as I say, a little bit later, by Skype from Slovenia, we'll talk to an author uh, there who has written a short but informative book about the Slovenian side of Melania Trump's story. But let's begin um, with you, Kate uh, Anderson-Brower. Let's talk, first of all, you know, one might hear thrown around 
the notion that Melania Trump is hardly a typical first lady. But it could be argued that there is no such thing as a typical first lady. This is a much more varied and variegated group of people than maybe most of us latently think about, right? I mean, first ladies have been kind of all over the map. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I interviewed three of them, uh, Laura Bush, Barbara Bush, and Rosalind Carter. And they all said, you know, that there's no blueprint for this job. Um, And there's nothing in the Constitution. There's nothing written down about what you should be doing. And one of the things Laura Bush brought up is maybe first ladies should be allowed to continue uh, their jobs and make money. Because it's been difficult. And we see that with a lawsuit that uh, Melania has filed, which is kind of on a a different note. But um, I think that for someone like Michelle Obama, who actually was the breadwinner in her family, giving up her job, moving her family from Chicago to D.C. was difficult. And she asked President Obama's advisors, you know, if she could stay in Chicago with their two young children. And they said, you know, absolutely not. So seeing Melania Trump, you know, really putting her foot down and saying, I'm not going to move, it's unprecedented. It's only happened uh, once since Abigail Adams moved into the White House, and that was with Anna Harrison because her husband died within a month of being inaugurated. So um, in a way, it's kind of an interesting I, I don't think she would consider herself a feminist, but by not moving here to Washington, she's made a pretty bold statement. And it's also the case this might be an unusual situation in the sense that Melania Trump is alive, but it has been the case in the past where other people uh, have been first lady, people who are not the wife of the president. Now, typically, particularly in the early 19th century, when a number of presidential wives died pre-presidentially, uh, it was simply the case. I mean, we had you know people, people like Martin Van Buren and Andrew Jackson who, who came in as widowers. So you had to find somebody else. Right. I mean, Harriet Lane was um, Buchanan's niece, and she is the first woman to ever be referred to as the first lady. It was written about her. She was the first lady of the land. Um, and, uh, you know, so that that uh, began what we see as this legacy of first ladies where uh, women like, um, you know, Lincoln's wife, she was very controversial. She was called Mrs. President at times by his advisors. So there's, there's always a push-pull between the West Wing and the East Wing, and the the East Wing is mostly female advisors. The West Wing is still mostly male advisors, uh, we see now. And um, I think that it's fascinating to see that while women have, you know, our roles in society have changed a lot, in the White House, they haven't changed quite as much as they have outside of the White House. The um uh, it could be argued that there are certain things about Melania Trump that are unprecedented. Um, one of them is that she would be the first ever third wife uh, to be a first lady. Um, Nancy Reagan was Ronald Reagan's second wife. But, I mean, there have been some pretty colorful things in the past. If Jackson's wife had survived uh, to uh, to serve in whatever role we would be calling that at the time, I guess we weren't saying first lady, she would have been pretty controversial. My recollection is that... Um, that it wasn't even really clear that she had successfully disentangled herself from her previous marriage when Andrew Jackson married her. So that would have been a pretty colorful situation in the White House, somebody where there at least were accusations that this was something approaching bigamy. 
Yeah, and Andrew Jackson never forgave John Quincy Adams for that and thought that that led to her her, uh, her death because I think she had a heart attack. So, um, But the thing about Melania that's so interesting to me is how private she is. I mean, we just learned last week about her sister. She has an older sister who lives mm-hmm. in a Park Avenue uh, $2 million apartment uh, owned by the Trump family. She has her parents. I, I just talked to Paolo Zampoli, who is Melania Trump's modeling agent, who introduced her, her former agent, who introduced her to Donald Trump. And he he talked about her parents living in Trump Tower and going to Mar-a-Lago and their close relationship with their son, Barron. And we don't know anything about the people around her. And she has been so intensely private, which I think you said, it's it's truly mind-boggling that she's been able to do this for this long. And I don't think it's going to last too much longer because people want to know they want a first lady in the White House, someone representing, you know, the ideal wife and mother. That That is what that position is about. And I think when she didn't, you know, walk around with the Japanese prime minister's wife, I think that was a problem for her. All right. So uh, before I bring Annalisa into the conversation, uh, one of the first times that many Americans heard her speak was, in fact, at the Republican National Convention. We do remember that that speech was swathed in a certain amount of post-speech controversy. But anyway, let's hear uh, her speaking. The race will be hard fought all the way to November. There will be good times and hard times and unexpected turns. It would not be a Trump contest without excitement and drama. If I'm honored to serve as First Lady, I will use that wonderful privilege to try to help people in our country who need it the most. It is kindness, love, and compassion for each other that will bring us together and keep us together. These are the values Donald and I will bring to the White House. So Annalisa Morelli, from, uh, a journalist and a reporter at uh, Quartz, um, that was, in fact, one of the first uh, real chances that many Americans had to see this woman, hear her speak. There were some accusation, accusations of uh, plagiarism after the speech. But since then, there has been the kind of dialogue to which we've been referring to on the show already about whether or not she embraces this role the way other first ladies have, you know, she's obviously a very beautiful and stylish uh, person, comparable maybe to, to uh, Jackie Kennedy. But Jackie Kennedy, one almost senses, couldn't wait uh, to embrace certain aspects of being first lady. Uh, there's less of a clear sense of Melania Trump. But I guess I'm wondering, are we being uh, fair to her in bringing these things up so early? Well, um I guess uh, a question is whether we refer to any first lady. I guess the expectation that, uh, you know, as um, you know, as we were saying earlier, as Katie was saying earlier, that you know she has to embody the ideal wife and the ideal mother, and in all of that, uh, not being paid for her service, um, it. it you know, somehow, I don't know if, you know, willingly or not, she was raising the question of whether that's a fair expectation that uh, a woman would drop everything to follow her husband to the White House and sort of lend herself to the service of the country as a very traditional model of um, of wife. You know, she has to leave her job, um, regardless of whether or not, it, as, you know, it's been Michelle Obama's example, regardless of whether or not she was the breadwinning, breadwinner. So um, I guess, you know, it's not just uh, a question of whether or not uh, we're too hard on Melania Trump. It's also a question of whether or not we're too demanding with um, first ladies in general. 
It, it's also, you know, I don't know, Annalisa, oh, I'm trying to frame this, but one of the things, experiences that we've had with First Ladies is different levels of access to them for the press, different levels of showcasing uh, of who they were. So mm-hmm. you had Michelle Obama, who was uh, very comfortable uh, talking, speaking, doing public appearances, uh, granting interviews. Occasionally, she could get herself in trouble early on. She said that thing. This is the first time I've ever felt proud to be uh, an American. Um, uh, people uh, took that the wrong way or uh, put their own interpretation uh, onto that. But she's, you know, obviously a pretty fluid person. Uh, Hillary Clinton, same kind of thing. Laura Bush, probably a little bit more uh, of a quiet and retiring person. But with Melania Trump, there's even this kind of sense that, well, she had a more active social media account. Once he got into the race, she shut that down. And there's there's just not that much. She's sort of not front and center the way first ladies typically are. Do, uh, Annalisa, do you think that matters? Well, uh, it seems to matter to the people. Um, I think that's sort of uh, giving way to a lot of speculation about you know, whether she's willing to be a first lady, whether she's reluctant to this role. Uh, there's been a lot of memes going around sort of scrutinizing her uh, mysterious uh, or somewhat mysterious appearance. Is she happy, is she unhappy. Um, so it does seem to matter to the people. Um, you know, I don't know whether that eventually will end up uh, forcing her to open herself a bit more or, you know, be more accessible to the press. But um, but again, it kind of fits back into this idea that uh, there is an expectation that this woman would be at the mercy of the public and sort of satisfying the curiosity and um, sort of giving access to her personal life, which um, it, it's not necessarily her duty. It's It's not it's not a law that she has to do that, and uh, you know she may well decide never to. Um, Kate, there's a way in which, uh, you know, the, as the title of your book suggests, first lady seems like a somewhat un- outmoded term. Uh, the whole concept seems a, a little odd in some ways, but but I think it is true. Um, that this inevitably is the first marriage. You know, it's kind of a marriage that people look at and, and, and play out all kinds of ideas they have about marriage and partnership through. Each one of these uh, has been very different, as different as it could be. But as we move into this digital age where every moment can re- be repeated and scrutinized and looked at and analyzed, you know, you think of somebody like Jackie Kennedy, of whose appearance could be pretty well choreographed and scripted. Obviously, we we now know there's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes that nobody would have wanted us to know about. But here, you know, as Annalisa was saying, these memes, you know, there are uh, this moment uh, at the inauguration where Donald Trump like looked back at Melania and then turned away from her and her face kind of fell. Uh, also, the moment where he's going up the steps to the White House and he doesn't wait for her. She's sort of getting stuff out of the car and he's running up to talk to the Obamas, just completely having forgotten that she's with him. But these are, you know, in a way, Kate, it feels as though these things are looked at and gone over in a way that they never would have been in the past. Oh, that's absolutely true. And I was at one of the balls um, for CNN on inauguration night. And when I was struck that that Donald Trump chose my way as his song, you know, to dance to with Melania, because the Obamas chose, you know, at last, very romantic song. Usually um, the Bushes had a romantic dance. This is not a partisan criticism at all. It's that usually you honor your wife and you say, isn't she beautiful? And you kind of you're very um, sort of demonstratively affectionate in that moment. And there wasn't that 
much of it um, on inauguration night, which was definitely something that people noticed, um, that it is about him, right? Um, But what you said earlier, I would say, as far as Jackie Kennedy goes, she is not a first lady who was particularly excited about the role. Mm -hmm. Um, She said she didn't want to be called first lady. It sounded like a saddle horse. She felt it sounded ridiculous. Mm -hmm. She um, thought she was a dud, and she told JFK, she said, you know, I'm sorry I'm such a dud um, because, I, you know, she spent a lot of money. She went to very, uh, you know, a, a, she had a very wealthy background. She spent a lot of money in Europe. It came in a lot of criticism in the 60 campaign. And I think we do see uh, with Melania that reluctance to be first lady, as you say, because of Twitter and social media and Facebook and all of this. We see it um, in real time, whereas with first ladies like Bess Truman, who actually never gave an interview while she was first lady and told reporters, why do you need to know me? I'm married to the president and the mother of his child, and that's it. Um, You know, you have to think that Melania Trump would have preferred to be first lady in the 40s or 50s at a time when there wasn't this just hunger and this thirst to know more about her. And I mean, it doesn't help her uh, cause that her husband is very you know, um, transparent. And he's on Twitter constantly. So there's an expectation that um, we should know more about who this woman is. Um, Yeah. And thank you for correcting me about uh, Jackie Kennedy. Even as I was saying it, I was wondering whether that was particularly true. I remember her as a kid. I remember her, you know, giving this kind of guided tour of the White House on television and, and this person who really created in a way that Michelle Obama, I think, and Barack Obama did too, the White House as this incredible cultural center where, you know, Pablo Casals was playing cello and all, all these sort of great cultural figures were just constantly coming there and singing and playing. And she had this tremendous con- connection to culture, which she wanted to share. And then, of course, he famously said he may have been a bit of a, a cad or an extreme cad uh, behind the <laughs> scenes, but he famously said when they went to Paris that he would be forever known as mm-hmm. the man who accompanied Jacqueline Kennedy to, to Paris. Um, so this, uh, I, I'm fascinated about the song. I didn't know that, that they danced to my way. The song you're about to hear wasn't available for them to dance to because uh, Kion Wolf and I wrote it this morning. Melania, 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 you give me such awful insomnia. When I close my eyes and I can't get to sleep, I find myself counting Slovenian sheep. Melania, 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 you rule my waves more than Britannia. When I think of us, I find myself feeling sad, but it's not my fault that you married your dad. I get nauseous when POTUS won't meet your eyes. You're no Jaja, you'll float us to paradise. Melania, I'm having an epiphany. Someday he'll ignore you like Tiffany. Come be my own, I'm the spice you lack. Once you've tried Kion, you will never go back. Melania, our ecstasy is imminent. I can get the job done with an immigrant. Just as sure as I am that your eyes are blue, I'm sure that I can be a nasty woman. With you, Melania. 
All right. So that's uh, that's the way somebody ought to talk to Melania and sing to Melania. Uh, but again, not available for dancing at the inaugural ball. Let me tell you who we're talking to again. Uh, Annalisa Morelli, journalist and reporter at Quartz. Uh, Kate Anderson Brower, journalist, author and CNN contributor. Her latest book is First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First Ladies. Uh, that was Kion Wolf, of course, uh, singing that song that we wrote together this morning. Um, so, um, I, you know, um, uh, Annalisa Morelli, let's talk about another area where we may or may not be um, fair to uh, Melania Trump. I, I think, you know, that we've never had uh, a first lady, first, uh, uh, well, for starters, a first lady who is not born an American citizen, born on foreign soil. There have been other, at least one other first lady who was born on foreign soil, but an American citizen. Uh, and then you layer onto that that she was a very successful model. She still looks like somebody who could be a very successful model. I mean, maybe you could just say a little bit about how America is digesting all that. Is it is it just something that we are adding to our vast, copious, and varied understanding of what a first lady can be? Well, um, so, well, she, she is an American citizen now. Yeah. Uh, but um, but I, guess, I guess there's that. I, my impression is also that uh, the Trump presidency sort of brought on um, so much that was unprecedented and so much that was different from any traditional, um, you know, model that, that we've seen before uh, that, there, I believe that there's a part of it that kind of came with the package, and so you know, together with uh, a, a president who'd been married three times, and you know, had sort of you know, publicly uh, been an, an adulterer, like all of these things. Together with that came, uh, you know, and together with that unconventional family um, came the fact that there was a foreign first lady, and that she would be much much younger than him, and. Uh, that came in as a model, and there's like you know a well-documented um, you know history of her career as a model um, that you know that too has been you know I, I, you know to, to, to my opinion not in great taste um, used as an instrument of of criticism towards her uh, when instead you know it was um, sort of part of her line of work and, and as you said she was very successful um, before she came to the U.S. which is a condition to um, you know, to to apply to come to the U.S. as a um, as a model, um, and uh, and again, it is possible that I, I guess you know we will realize uh, afterward whether or not that has reshaped um, our expectations, you know, of for the role of a uh, of a first lady and who can uh, occupy that role. Um, I guess people are still sort of getting used to this, and 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 what we're seeing now, um, you know, uh, is this desire to sort of uh, bring back a little bit of what uh, we used to. So, as, you know, as we were saying earlier, there's a lot of scrutiny and there's a lot of, you know, wanting to know a little bit more, lots of gossiping, lots of uh, trying to guess, um, you know, what is happening behind the sort of um, mysterious um, life or, you know, sort of less accessible life that, um, you know, that, she, that she has. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not sure that uh, Americans are yet sold on the fact that she will be private and that she will kind of keep herself a little bit distant, uh, distant from, from the media. Uh, but, but I haven't seen as much of sort of a resentment towards the fact that she's not, she was not American-born. And um, I haven't necessarily, I don't, I don't, that doesn't seem to, uh, to be a, a, a problem so much. Um, 
So, uh, you know, Kate, I, I think uh, as I think about first marriages of my lifetime, you know, they, they, they are, every single one of them is, is different. But, I mean, there maybe are some patterns here. There are certain first ladies, if we can still use that term, or first women, who, um, who kind of complete our, or try to help complete our understanding uh, of who the president is. I would put uh, Michelle Obama in that category that, you know, that President Obama was a, kind of a reserved guy in certain ways. And she kind of helped us understand who he was when he was being fun, you know, who he was uh, when he wasn't being this rather serious uh, presidential guy. I think Betty Ford uh, did that to a tremendous degree uh, for Jerry Ford. I mean, even kind of uh, alluded to their sex life, which was just completely unheard of and beyond the pale uh, at the time that she was doing things like that. And then there are other marriages where I think, you know, the country spends a lot of time going, what's their deal? What is the deal here? And I, the Clintons are the, obviously the apex of, of that phenomenon. People just constantly trying to figure out pretty much from day one. I mean, going in, they, you know, they had the Jennifer Flowers thing. They had to get through the campaign and, you know, and it just, all of those aspects to it just kept on going. They seemed very affectionate and respectful towards one another in a lot of situations. And you heard from people who claimed to know them well, that they really, really were kind of nuts about each other. And then all this other horrible stuff would happen that really kind of didn't fit there. And and I don't know. I mean, as you've looked at that, I, I, I guess I'm asking this because I, I have the suspicion that the Trump marriage is going to be like that, too, that we're going to spend either four or eight years going, what is the deal with these people? Like, what exactly goes on between them? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Clintons, I think you're absolutely right, is very opaque. People don't know much about it. And when I, I wrote a book called The Residents, and it was about the residence staff and what went on behind the scenes. And one of the stories I have in there that people were intrigued by was Hillary Clinton getting mad at Bill Clinton when Monica Lewinsky came out and, and asked, enforcing him to sleep on the sofa uh, for several weeks afterwards when it broke. And I think that really humanized that relationship because people don't know much about their interaction with each other. And I think the fact that Melania Trump does not live in the White House right now, um, kind of shows that they are a very modern couple. And, you know, Donald Trump has talked about how he gets more work done with his wife and and son not there. Um, and the idea that they're commuting back and forth. And then she loves Mar-a-Lago, so she goes there at every opportunity. Um, you know, there's lots of rumors about their marriage, nothing substantiated. I know that she um, would be the first first lady to have a prenup, which I think is really interesting. Um, Donald Trump has talked about that. And, um, you know, as the third, first third wife, um, as first lady, I think she's in a unique position. There's a big age gap. I think it's 24 years between them. Um, and they seem to right now lead very separate lives. And um, which is the case for a lot of very wealthy, uh, very rich people. Um, but I think the thing that about her that's so interesting is I was just at the Bush 41 library in Houston um, on Tuesday night. And I was talking about the fact that she has, you know, three staffers in the East Wing compared to Michelle Obama's 24. So she doesn't have a press secretary or a communications director yet, which the people in the audience think is great. I mean, they said, well, that's a way to save money. Why Why do we have spend millions of dollars on the East Wing staff. My take on that is that while you might not need 24 people, I think you need more than three people. And I think the reason why she's so open to criticism and people just kind of drawing their own conclusions about her is there is nobody shaping her image right now. And so that's why discussions like this are interesting. But it also, I mean, to me, there are great stories about her. I mean, she in Slovenia used to um, draw dresses and her mother 
and sister would sew them. I mean, she loved to draw. She loved fashion. She wanted to be a designer. Um, she wasn't always, you know, going to be a high fashion model. That it, and, and I think she should really talk about being a mother and a wife and kind of because as kind of outdated that is, that is what people expect. And it's clearly her priority with her son. So someone should be there uh, guiding her. And I don't think we're seeing that now. All right, we're going to take a break uh, here. We have more to come, including a little trip by Skype to Slovenia that's coming up here. Uh, I want to say thank you very, very much to Annalisa Morelli, journalist and reporter for Quartz, who jumped in to help us out uh, here this afternoon without too much warning and has done an excellent job fleshing out our understanding. We're going to come back with uh, more of Kate Anderson Brower in our second segment and then uh, take that trip to Slovenia. Like an old movie star, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. What is it like to have everything economically? Uh, I grew up, you always, you know, taking care of the money. You always, you're not like a, you know, big spender and you're saying like, okay, I will buy it even if I don't like it for 100%. You know, you really need to love it that you buy it. So you're not just shop to shop. I'm not just shop to shop. She's never taken advantage of that situation, okay, as many women would have, frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's not one that sees a a beautiful something in a Fifth Avenue or Madison Avenue window and said, I'm going to get it or please get it. It's not her thing. All right. That was, uh, of course, uh, the two Trumps uh, talking to Larry King way back in 2005, where whatever her attitude was towards his money meant something to a much smaller group of people than it might uh, mean now. We're talking today about Melania Trump, trying to understand her better. Before we plunge back into that, I want to mention that tomorrow, uh, when we're doing the nose, we do the nose every Friday. It's our cultural roundtable. Every Friday at this time of year, uh, we do a show about the Oscars with Vivian Nabetta, and this year also James Handley and Tom Breen. Uh, And we're going to do it live at Trinity's Cine Studio, their beautiful movie theater on the campus of Trinity College in Hartford. Uh, It's at 1 p.m., the way we always do the show. If you'd like to come, the doors will be open. We're not charging any money. We'd just love to see you come in and take a seat and and join us for that uh, and see us doing the nose on sort of on stage. There's really a stage there. But anyway, that's where we'll be, Trinity Cine Studio tomorrow. You are invited to come. Otherwise, just listen live. We'll be live as usual. All right, so we're having this conversation about Melania and Trump. Uh, and uh, joining us from the studios of WAMU in D.C. is Kate Anderson Brower, journalist, author, and CNN contributor. Her latest book is First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First Ladies. Um, Kate, apropos of nothing, I have to say that uh, you have uh, exhibited, as you've been suggesting here, a real gift for getting information about what really goes on inside the White House. And I don't know why, but the detail that George and Laura Bush used to sneak up to some location uh, of an evening and smoke cigarettes with the window open so they could blow the smoke out and then forget to close the window and the Secret Service would get all upset and everything. I just have the hardest time picturing all that. It's very House of Cards, isn't it? Yes. And you don't really (laughs) think about Laura Bush. I mean, Laura Bush was a sorority girl. Um, She smoked for a long time, which was a big deal because she led the heart health, you know, movement. It was one of her signature efforts as First Lady. But it was kind of a hidden, um, you know, it was something that a lot of members of the press knew about but never wrote about. Um, And she would smoke in the treaty room uh, with President Bush. And he would have a cigar and she would smoke a cigarette. And you're right. I mean, the staff would get apoplectic because they would forget to 
close the windows. And these are, you know, bulletproof glass. And so the Secret Service every night when they were in town would have would know, you know, or it was usually early at like around nine to go and make sure that the treaty room uh, windows are closed. But Laura Bush was tougher than a lot of people think. I mean, she got she would walk through the um, West Wing, you know, the, the lower press office. And when when a staffer showed her uh, around, she saw a, a photo up on the wall of a cubicle. They're just cubicles there. It's not all that impressive, honestly. And she said, what is this, a sorority? Get rid of this stuff. You know, she didn't like the fact that this young girl in her 20s had a picture posted up on her cubicle. So she is all about order and tradition. And um, all these women are more complicated and interesting than I think we know. So, you know, in that that clip from Larry King, you can hear the Trumps way back in 2005 Dealing essentially with a subtax, it's, it's hard to make it go away. Whether it's fair or not, there's, you know, there's the subtext of gold digger, right? I mean, th- there's this notion of here's this beautiful woman uh, who is younger and, and more stylish uh, and more physically appealing, I think most people would agree, than the man that she's married to. The man she's married to uh, has established his primary reputation as a very wealthy man with his name on lots and lots of buildings. And, and so... This is unusual. I mean, there there might have been some other people who, I guess, if we looked at the historical record very carefully, might have been it might have, something like that might have been imputed to them. But th- this is something I feel like they're going to have to deal with this one way or another for the entirety of their time in office. Yeah, I mean, nothing quite like this because if you look at the Kennedys, which I guess is a is a pretty, you know, there was a big age gap there. She was very beautiful. Um, Jackie was from a very wealthy family. So that wasn't just about, you know, money for her. And there was a quote somewhere where Melania said, you know, um, someone asked her, you know, would you have married uh, Donald Trump if he wasn't um, a millionaire or whatever he is? And she said, well, would he have married me if I was, wasn't beautiful? And I think that that is um, very honest and, and, and that is true. Um, and so I think that there are relationship, like you were saying before, there's just this added level of skepticism about her. And I just think it's really interesting that she's sort of parroted some of his words, like over the weekend when she recited the Lord's Prayer and then talked about the media as the opposition. I think she's taking a lot of lead from him. And I think for a first lady, you should really try to be a little bit less political. This isn't a campaign anymore. He won. You don't need to talk like that. I think she needs to find an issue. And I know she feels vulnerable right now, but coming on the heels of Michelle Obama, who left with historically high approval ratings, it's difficult. And I think you have to feel some sympathy for her, honestly. Yeah. In some ways, it seems like the first couple relationship is often, you know, like what they said about Astaire and Rogers. She gave him sex. He gave her class. That there's a way in which you, know, you kind of hope that the first couple will, rather than parrot each other's uh, words, will provide a, a kind of uh, yin to that yang, uh, you know, a, a more kind of complete sense uh, of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is, Kate, I also want to just sort of say, that, okay, one of the things that's also been a little unusual is that uh, Melania Trump has found it necessary to uh, file a lawsuit or two recently, including one to kind of protect her business interests. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, she she refiled a lawsuit against the publishers of the Daily Mail, and um, she has claimed that they libeled her um, when they falsely said that she had worked as an escort. And so... Um 
I think it was about a week ago, the, uh, she refiled it at New York Supreme Court, and it was an amazing uh, legal um, filing because they talked about a once-in-a-lifetime chance to, um, you know, develop multi-million-dollar business relationships as the most photographed women in the world, and we all know that that means as as first lady. And no one has talked in such black and white, clear terms about monetizing the position of first lady. Um, we all know, you know, Nancy Reagan, Betty Ford, I'm sure Michelle Obama, and. Laura Bush, they've all written books, and some of them are incredible. I think Nancy Reagan's My Turn is one of the best memoirs because it's so very brutally honest. Um, And so usually you wait until you leave, and then you get a multi-million dollar book deal, and that's what first ladies have historically done. But to overtly talk about uh, making money from being a first lady is something that is just not done at all. And so, um, and I think it's offensive to people because they want you to do something good in that role. They, you know, you have an incredible opportunity to change people's lives as first lady. You can help um, refugees, you can help uh, different um, charities. It, it's something that's very, you have an incredible um, bully pulpit, really, to to pick a cause. Um, and I think that it just looks really unseemly. Although, you know, to go back to something that you've said before, it's probably part and parcel of the relationship that we're seeing right now. This relationship comes with a prenup. Uh, it comes with a history of him uh, having left two other wives. Um, in a way, you can sort of understand why she might feel financially self-protective in a way that maybe Michelle Obama doesn't have to. Right. That's true. And their relationship is very different. I mean, one of the, like you were saying, one of the things Michelle Obama did was really humanize her husband, who was so professorial and hard to get to know. And, and Michelle Obama would joke about, you know, not wanting to give him neck rubs when he she's not the kind of wife who gives her husband a massage at the end of the day. You know, she was like a real uh, they were from a middle class background, very relatable. And I think that's why that's why Melania Trump needs to bring out her parents, you know, as terrible as that sounds. It's like, you know, you don't want to just trot out your family for PR, but you you kind of should at this point. Bring your parents out. Um, if she's protective of her son, which she clearly is, like Jackie was of her children, um, then talk about your sister. Talk about your parents. She didn't ask for this position. And Melania Trump has said, you know, Donald Trump said of his wife, you know, she, she sat me down when I was considering running and said, why do you want to do this? We have such a great life. And he said, you know, I have to. I'd just be so good at it. And that's typical. Trump response. But um, I think that it is unfair, but it is a fact of life that you're in it now. And um, if you didn't want to be in it, then you should have really put your foot down two years ago. So I think that you, this kind of not full commitment to being first lady, it, it's difficult for a lot of people to swallow. All right. This is, this will nicely set up our, our final segment here. But, you know, in terms of bringing out our parents and, and, and that kind of thing, I mean, I don't know. Initially, it seemed like kind of what happened in Slovenia stayed in Slovenia. As you said, you know, we just learned about um, a sister that we hadn't known about who, who's around. Uh, and uh, in an article in GQ, we learned about a half brother who really hadn't been talked to about at all. Um, there, there's a way in which some of the things uh, in her past really seemed at least initially destined to stay way in her past. So now what you're saying is maybe we do need to see some of the Slovenian story of uh, Melania Trump or Melania Naus. 
Absolutely. I think we want to see that. I think people are hungry for that. And until she starts doing that, the images that are burned in everyone's memory are, of, you know, the New York Post cover of her nude modeling, which is not something we've ever seen a first lady do. And it's um, although Betty Ford and Pat Nixon both did some catalog modeling years ago, but they really should um, should bring her personal story forward. And that's something that a communications director should do for her. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Slovenian side of this story after this break. Today's show was produced by Josh Nalea, Abigail Fillmore, and me, Kion Wolf. Sir Ray Hardman appeared in the intro, and our intern is Hazel Cologne. The part of Bill Curry was played by Francis Folsom Cleveland Preston. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or any other major platform. On tomorrow's show, The Nose breaks down the Oscars live from Trinity Cine Studio. Come on over and grab a seat, and then join some of us on Sunday night for the red carpet experience at Spotlight Theaters in Hartford. Order your ticket from AIDS, Connecticut. And now... Back to Colin. That's right. We're all going to be there. At, well, not all of us. You're, you're going, Wolfie, right? Yeah, you go every year. So we will. Uh, we'd love to have you come on um, on Sunday night to watch the Oscars, but also have a really, really great party with music and food and people dressed up wonderfully. So do that. You get your ticket from AIDS Connecticut, as she said. All right. We're talking about uh, Melania Trump. Uh, we've been talking uh, with great effect to uh, Kate Anderson Brower, journalist, author, and CNN contributor. She's still with us. Her latest book is First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First Ladies. Uh, joining us by Skype from Slovenia is Sandy Gorasek, uh, author and mechanical engineer from Slovenia. His latest book is Melania Trump, The Slovenian Side of the Story. Um, Sandy Gorasek, welcome to our conversation. Thank you very much, Colin. So, it's really a great pleasure to be there. Well, it's a very uh, great pleasure to have you. So um, you. maybe you can just sort of begin by uh, giving us a sense of, as a girl, as a girl growing up in Slovenia, was Melania a typical Slovenian, or was she obviously destined to leave that country and do something else? Well, Colin, it's hard to say because she is... She's basically, I don't know her personally, I just, I, I based my book on uh, growing in the same environment. So I don't know that much if she wanted to leave, but as I said, uh, when you're reading my book, it's a special segment of it, explaining socialism. So if you want to stay in socialism, you wouldn't do the cat box at the age of five, because it would be, you know, you just, it, basically in socialism, you, you finish your school, you get a job, and you retire in the same company. So I would I would guess that she would like to go leave, yeah. And and it does seem as though her parents had uh, ambitions for her that were different from the socialist track that you just described. Exactly, because this is exactly what I stated in my book. Um, father was entrepreneur in that time, what was really really courageous, and uh, mom persuaded maybe her dreams or whatever with her daughter so she was she was supportive and helping her with modeling since the early age um a, a lot the people in america um sandy have attempted to draw some comparisons between melania's father and president trump 
Do they seem to you like similar men? Well, I don't want to spoil my chapter, but it's uh, <laughs> chapter number four that says about it. Let's just say that um, I read a few articles for, uh, writing this. As you noticed, as you said, I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm not a professional, professional journalist. Mm -hmm. And one, uh, one journalist, Shita Nagesh, I hope I pronounced that one right, uh, claimed that they look like twins. I don't know. For me, it looks... Uh, I won't uh, comment any visual appearance, but I'm almost sure that uh, your president, Mr. Trump, and her father, Victor, they have some resemblance. I would say they are both entrepreneurs. They want, you know, they want to push the boundaries. So, yeah, I think they are quite similar. Okay. And in my opinion, you, yeah. So, Sandy, Sandy, hang with us for just a second. I, I want to throw that question uh, over to uh, to Kate as well. Kate Anderson Brower. Um, I, I've seen one of the pictures that Sandy's talking about, and and in fact, uh, Melania's father in this picture even has on a suit and a red tie, uh, and and the, the resemblance is there. And and once again, you you hate to subject this woman to a kind of speculation that maybe other first ladies have not had to endure. But you know, the because of the age difference and some of these. Other other factors i don't know is it is it fair to ask that question about whether uh you were talking in the previous segment about how she needs to bring her parents forward what if she does that and everybody goes well she married her father <laughs> i think that might be one of the reasons why she hasn't done that because yeah he is um and i i believe he you know he was a member of the communist party and then he worked his way up um and it, it was successful as, as we discussed and and i think that that is something that people would draw comparisons to and that her mother is um very beautiful uh she worked in a factory actually for a long time and i think another thing about melania trump that's interesting is she grew up relatively you know modestly um and I would be curious what your guest thinks about this, but um, I think her kind of view of communism, having um, grown up in it, is so different than than our view of it here in the U.S. And I, you know, I've talked to people who say, you know, her, the fact that her father was a communist, maybe he's had conversations with Donald Trump that have softened him in terms of looking at Russia. That's just mere speculation. But these are people much like Ivana Trump, the mother of his three oldest children who we don't see who are influential. And I think that, like, Ivana Trump, to me, is like the queen mother or something. We don't see her, but she's a very powerful force. And maybe Melania's parents are a very powerful force that we don't see, so we're not really getting the whole picture of who this woman is. Sandy, I want to know how Melania Trump is perceived in Slovenia. I mean, as this American election cycle unfolded, uh, and, and to whatever degree people uh, in your country were watching it, what were they saying? In general, as I said before, there are, in Slovenia, I think that people in general are more, more likely to hear, they love to hear bad news instead of good ones. So <laughs> I was reading forums, I was reading comments about this topic before even starting to, re to write a book. It was always like, I, I couldn't believe it, you know. It's like, it's, first of all, it's Slovenia is so tiny and we have a first lady. I'm, I'm not a politically oriented person, but it's amazing. Slovenia is really small, so... And people are more or less negative about it, was world negative. Now there are some entrepreneurs, some locals that want to sell products, brand it, and so on. That's good. But people in general didn't didn't like it that much. If I tell you some insider stories, whatever, they were like, the cutest thing happened in previous year was that we named our Christmas tree in Ljubljana, our capital, mm -hmm. Melania. So you met at Melania. You know, that was the only positive thing I saw before the new year. 
And do you th- do you think the the the, la- the reason it wasn't positive was was there was a sense that she was trying to escape a reality that everybody else in Slovenia is more content to live with? I mean, is there that kind of like who do you think you are? Is that what people were saying? I think it's more of a media picture that media uh, painted for us because basically, you know, since we are small, we have uh, media houses that are. Most of them, most of commercial ones are owned by bigger, larger networks that are hooked or connected or owned by USA media houses. So I think it was a bit of a, hmm, how to say, not that honest picture from both sides. And this is one of the reasons why I wrote this book, because I always, I can't hear about this communism is bad, capitalism is good. I want to highlight that capitalism is good and bad, as well as capi- as communism is, or socialism, as we call it here. So, uh, because so, communism is usually connected, sorry, but communism is usually connected to so Soviet Union mm-hmm. and socialism to Yugoslavia, but so, it's a variation of it. So the, these American-affiliated media networks in Slovenia were probably telling a story similar to the one that was heard in America, which you know had a lot to do with ways in which Donald Trump seemed like an inappropriate or rude or mean-spirited uh, or uh, punishing kind of person. I mean, that may have affected how people in Slovenia saw Melania? Yeah, for sure. Um, so That's uh, one of the cases, because it's it's not only about the money. There were like some rumors, you know, she's with him only for the money. It's not for the money. For the money, you're with the person for a few months. But then should be something deeper, otherwise you don't stay together. It's, it's for every couple is the same, and I wrote that as well, because I'm just... This is why it motivates me because I hear so many things that it's just like capitalism is the greatest and, you know, this stuff and everything here is bad. It was not bad. It was different, but not bad. You know, fusion or mix of culture is the best, I think. Cindy, we're about to run out of time. How was your book received? <laughs> uh, well, actually, it's the same as I think I saw it Melania. In the beginning, it was so, so many negative comments that I couldn't believe. And I was thinking <laughs> about it. Hmm. I was thinking about it. How did she feel, you know? Listening to all these negative comments, I got three, two or three from my friends that I sold my soul for a few bucks, and I was I didn't sleep for four days. Oh no! And so she is like hard skinned She she got it, you know. She got all these punches. So I admire her, and I'm not not politically oriented person. I you know, it's, it's just a few facts I want to share with the world because just to highlight as I'm talking with my father, saying you know, from all the journalists that came in Slovenia, the only thing you could get dig, you could dig out is that her father was a communist. Now, come on, everybody was. Like, now everybody is or, or Democrat or Republican. Sandy, we have to we have to end there. Thanks so much to Kate Anderson-Brower. Her book, her latest book, is First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First Ladies. Thanks to Sandy Gorosek, too, author of a book in Slovenia about Melania. Thanks to everybody who helped out with today's show. Anyone, please. Anyone, please. Melania, get in here. I'll be right there. You tiny handed piece. Melania, we've heard a recording of your husband bragging about sexually assaulting women. No, that is not the Donald that I know. And we saw that he mocked a reporter. Nope, I do not think he did that. The hands, they were all wrong. He said that women who are flat chested would have a hard time being considered a 10. Now that is the Donald I know and love. 